Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 14 today. Genesis chapter 14. And as you're turning there, uh, got some uh, dear friends to introduce to you. On the far right side over here is uh, my dear friend Dan and his wife Carol. Dan and Carol Learned. Uh, we went to high school together and uh, fought the good fight as Christian young men in a secular high school. And uh, he ended up being the best man in my wedding, and I was the best man in his wedding. And if you want to hear stories, talk to Dan, and you can learn all you want to learn, or what you even don't want to know. Uh, so anyway, I'm just so glad you guys are here today. So We're in Genesis 14, and we have the entire chapter to consider. The first 11 verses uh, will discuss uh, several kings that are going to go uh, to war, and some of the names of these kings are quite interesting, so I'll do my best to read through them. But uh, let's uh, go to God's word this morning to start our service. Verse 1 of 14. In the days of Amraphel, kings of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings made war with Barah, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, king of Adma, Shemember, king of Zavoyim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sedim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kedor Laomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Raphaim in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Suzim in Ham, the Emim in Shava, Kerathaim, and the Horites in their hill country of Sierra, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to In Meshphat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, the king of Zavoyim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sedim. With Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ario, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sedim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and Aner, these were allies of Abram. And when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hova, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. 
After his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing but the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me. Let Enar, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Several years ago, I was working with a young man who is going through some incredibly difficult circumstances. They were incredibly difficult because he had made them difficult, difficult on himself through his own poor choices. And what I have here is some excerpts of some text messages that he and I had together during this time where he came basically to the end of himself. And I'd like to share a portion of this with you, with his permission. I'm using different names, mind you. This is what he started with reaching out to me. Jenny and I are done. She kicked me out of the house after I told her I found some cocaine in an old duffel bag from a long time ago and did some. I am such an idiot. I don't know why I did it. I haven't touched any stuff like that in over seven years. Anyway, she's... She says she's got to protect her kids, so I'm in a hotel right now trying to find a new place to live. She told my family, so now they think I'm a cocaine addict and was probably never sober these last seven years. She even called the police and, has them, and had them confiscate the little tiny remains of drug in the bottom of the duffel bag so they could bring drug charges against me. I'm sorry, Brad. I'm pretty scared and lonely. I, I wanted to let you know. I responded, thanks for letting me know. I'm so sorry things have gone in such a horrible direction. I'm praying for you, Dave. With God, there are always possibilities. Grab your Bible and keep reading. He responded, I will grab my Bible when I'm allowed to get it. I'm not allowed in the house, but I know what you mean. I'll get another one. At least I can go back to my home church now, smiley face. Yes, I said. He said, thanks, Brad. I appreciate your friendship. I can't shake the fear I feel. I read the word, and as I'm reading, I'm still fearful and full of doubt. I'm afraid. How much more can I take? I'm being rocked to my core. I guess that's what needs to happen, but I don't know how to get rid of the fear and doubt. So powerful. But I tell myself they are just feelings. They're not the truth. It's a war in my head. Anyway, sorry for the rambling. Take care, Brad. Thanks again. I responded, God still has you. Is there anything I can do to help you with Jenny? Yes, he does have me. No, Jenny and I are done. No, going, no coming back. I'm moving all my stuff out of her parents' house next Monday or Tuesday. Brad, I'm really in bad shape. 
Then he told me today there's absolutely no chance of us getting back together. I don't know why I'm so crushed when a big part of me knows we should have never been married. I don't think I'm going to make it through this. I wish I was dead. I may have to go to the hospital if my thoughts get any darker. I can't endure this. I responded, do you have your Bible? I said, yes, I've been reading it. I said, read Psalm 13 and text me again. He responded, certainly appropriate to my situation. My problem boils down to faith or lack of it. If I had faith, I'd have hope. I am grateful for the blessings he is giving me right now. It's just not enough to stop the pain of my crushed heart. I responded, the only cure for a crushed heart is God. And the blessing of time, read Psalm 16 and then text me. He responded, I like verse 7. It's hardest at night for me. I don't know, Brad. I read the words about rejoicing and my heart being glad, and I just don't believe it. Maybe it's time for a hospital for me. I, I feel like I've been beaten to a pulp over the last 12 months, and this is just too much. I'll make it somehow. I don't know how, but I'll keep reading and praying, even though everything seems empty and I'm blind. It's getting late, Brad. I don't want to keep you. Thank you for replying. I then said, read Psalm 20, and then Psalm 23, and then text me when you wake up. Okay, Brad, thank you. I will. Seems like a pretty desperate situation. All of us have loved ones and friends who are being held hostage by evil forces. As we'll see today in our study, we need to develop and implement strategies to rescue those who are under attack. By God's grace, we do have someone who is willing to intercede on our behalf in the midst of our battles. He will meet us right where we are. He is the ultimate source of our blessings and victories in life. He is worthy of our devotion, submission, and dependence as we endeavor to be all things to all people so that we may save some. In our message series, we've gone back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. Today, we will see the sufficiency of Christ as Abram rescues Lot. As we have mentioned, the 12th chapter of Genesis serves as a marker between primeval history and patriarchal history. And in Genesis 3.15, a seed, a child, a redeemer, Messiah, the Christos, was promised, the one who would come and destroy the evil one once and for all. So far, as we've read through Genesis, as we studied together, there have been numerous attacks on this seed line, the seed line of Christ. And now, as we come to further unpack what we're seeing in our study, here in chapter 14, we see Lot caught up in the middle of a war between nine kings. Lot is taken hostage, and Abram comes to his rescue. And here, in a physical sense, we see what is happening all around us in a spiritual sense. Beloved, there is a spiritual battle all around us, like my friend Dave was in. We can't see it, but we need to be equipped to do battle. Today, we'll see that there are those who are being held hostage all around us who need to be rescued from the evil one. And in the midst of the conflicts, we will see the sufficiency of Christ. I have three spiritual truths I want to share with you before we go to the Lord's table before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word and what we can glean from it. Lord, thank you for this 
moment in time where we can come to your word and be refreshed, be encouraged, perhaps even be shaken. So Lord, have your way with us in our study. Be our guide, be our teacher. Lord, we want to hear from you today more than anything else. So Lord, open your word to us. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds to your word by the power of your spirit. Be our guide and be our teacher, we ask. We pray this your son's wonderful and awesome name today. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined from the materials you received when you came in today, here's the first truth of three. First of all, all of us have loved ones who are being held hostage by evil forces. This is exactly what's going on in this account. Notice in verse 12 it says, They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. Notice how evil these kings are on both sides here with this conflict that Lot finds himself right in the middle of it all. We have Amraphel of Shinar. It's possibly Nimrod himself from Babylon. Of course, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, we know how notoriously evil those city-states were. Here with these rebellious kings, we saw great sexual immorality involving idol worship. These kings were wielding great destruction and havoc among themselves, and now Lot's caught up in it. Abram's nephew, he's being held hostage, and he's caught up in the middle of a huge mess. And I ask you, who's being held hostage by the evil one in your world this morning? Who comes to your mind? I encourage you right now in your notes, write down the name. Start praying. But first of all here, all of us are in a great spiritual battle. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are surrounded by demonic evil forces, and at the same time, the angels in heaven are waging war. Even right here in this room, you can't see it. Man, I'd love to just peel back the curtain so we could see it all, what's going on. But there's a battle going on. We need to be aware of that, conscious of the reality of it all. You look at our world, the current world conflicts, like Ukraine, North Korea, ongoing conflict with, with the Israelis and the Palestinians. Add to that, even in our own country, rampant shootings throughout our country, outright cold-blooded mass murder. Conflict in our streets, in our schools, our workplaces, even in our homes, abortion, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual abuse, gender confusion and dysphoria. It would seem the evil one is having a heyday in our world and even our country and even in our community. We are so ripe for God's judgment. Beloved, all of us as we sit here right now, we're all in a humongous spiritual battle. And it's all around us. But secondly, all of us have been sent into battle for the cause of Christ. At Paul's conversion to Christ, Paul asked Jesus, Well, who are you, Lord? In Acts 26, verse 15. The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, 
to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was appointed by God to be a servant and witness to the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has called all of us to do the same thing. It's Jesus who says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Now we understand this, a disciple, metetes in the Greek, a disciple is a follower of Christ. But by definition, to be a follower of Christ is for you to be an apostle, to be a sent one. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. Go make disciples. All of us have been sent out into the battle. Thirdly here, all of us have been given assurance of God's presence in the midst of the battle. So here's the deal. When we go out to fight for what God has called us to fight for, we're not alone in it at all. He is with us. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see, we're not alone, and not only that, we can't be separated from his presence. It's Jesus who told us in Matthew 28, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what? I'm with you always to the end of the age. Beloved, all of us have loved ones who are being held hostage by evil forces. I know I have some that I, I hurt for because I know they're in trouble. And we've been given assurance of God's presence in the midst of our battle. But what can we do? Well, secondly, this morning, we can develop and implement a strategy to rescue our loved ones. This is what Abram did. Look at verse 13. First of all, we have to assess the situation. What can we do? Well, we need to assess the situation. Verse 13, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. And when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, oh no, lots in trouble. We have to assess the situation. What's the problem? Now, I've taught mathematics for many, many years, and sometimes I've found there are students trying to do math problems, and they really get lost in mathematics. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know why they're trying to find x. Isn't that been the problem? You know, what is x, and who cares what x is? Why do I need to have what x is? But if you find out what you're trying to look for and why it matters, then all of a sudden, hey, this math might not be so bad after all. But we have to have an understanding of what the problem is, so that we can now look for solutions to the problem. By the way, here's what's awesome about math. Can I just champion math for a second? In mathematics, there are always answers to the problems. Have you ever noticed that? Even if you get empty set, that is an answer. So math's good. Now, all of life, I hate to break this to you. I hate to break this to you that in reality, all, all of, you know those story problems in math? You, you hated those story problems? Your whole life is one big story problem. <laughs> Sorry, deal with it. And the, here's what's awesome is God has all the answers. He does. But to find the answers, we first have to understand what the problem is. In this case, Abram assesses the situation. 
Lot's in trouble. What should we do? Secondly here, we begin our strategy. We implement our strategy of rescue by preparing others to help us. He led forth his trained men. Here's what's neat. He didn't have to go, we need to have a training camp. No, these guys were all ready to go. He had trained men ready to take care of business. They were born in his house. How many of them? 318 of them. Are you making disciples who will help you make disciples? Gathering others to help us wage war against the enemy? By the way, this is my whole purpose and how, why I'm even doing what I do. I'm trying to raise you up so that we can all wage battle together against the evil one, against the forces that we're dealing with, so that we can reach our community and our world. Beloved, that's what it's all about, by preparing others to help us. But thirdly here, by being willing to go to great lengths. Notice it says that the pursuit went as far as Dan, which if you look at a map of the, the Middle East, you'll find Dan was on the northernmost part of Palestine, perhaps as much as 35 miles to the northeast. Mind you, on foot they traveled. And to do this, of course, we need much patience and endurance. This might take time in our battle. This guy I was just sharing with, I've been working with him for over 15 years. But fourthly here, by exercising wise tactics in our approach, Notice what Abram does. He divided his forces. Ah, let's divide and conquer. He divided his forces against them by night. Yeah, sneak attack in the dark. We'll do this. He and his servants, and he defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus, dividing and conquering by night over a 100-mile pursuit based on those particular sites. You go, Wow. And fifthly here, by doing all we can to not leave anyone behind. Who comes to your mind? Maybe you've come to the point where, oh, I just give up because they're never going to change. Oh, don't give up. Don't leave anyone behind. Notice what it says in verse 16. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Sometimes things, there are things that need to be said. Sometimes People will respond to you. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll listen. Sometimes they'll reject. How they respond is just not our job. Our job is to do everything within our means to save others. This won't be on the screen, but listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9. For though I am free, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Are we going to save them all? Probably not. But can we save some? Apparently, yes. The question is who? The question is when? Beloved, we can develop and implement a strategy to rescue our loved ones by assessing the situation, by preparing others to help us, by being willing to go to great lengths, by exercising wise tactics in our approach, by doing all we can to not leave anyone behind. Lastly this morning, and don't miss this, 
Because in this process of doing what we're called to do to reach others, to bring people out of danger, we have someone who is willing to intercede on our behalf. We're not alone in this. Praise God that we're not alone. First of all, it's our God who meets us right where we are. He meets us right where we need him. In verse 17, we read this. Then after his return, when Abram returned from the defeat of Kedorlaomer, which is really fun to say, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was the priest of God most high. Now this is very interesting in what's just happened in two verses. Initially here we see the king of Sodom show up to meet Abram. Why? Because it's his people have been hauled off his hoshes and now here they come back. So he wants to greet Abram and go, hey, thanks, man, that's awesome. But out of nowhere, Melchizedek, priest of God most high, shows up, and he comes and he ministers to Abram. And he meets Abram right where he is. And this is what our God does for us. He meets us right where we are. As we will see, the king of Sodom was a wicked, immoral, godless, worldly king. In contrast, Melchizedek, is the righteous king of peace. As we'll see in a moment as we look at the text in Hebrews, Melchizedek, in Hebrew it's Melech Zedek. Melech is king, Tzadik is righteousness. He literally is the king of righteousness. And he's from the city of Salem. Salem Shalom, Shalom, he's from the city of peace. He's from the city, Yeru, Shalayim. He's from Jerusalem. He's from the city of peace. Oh, that's where that comes from. You're right. You go, oh, that's who this guy is. Out of nowhere. The king of righteousness, the king of peace. Quite a bit different than Sodom. And I ask you, who are you serving today? One king offers the passing riches of this world while the other offers you oneness and communion with God. Who is this king of peace who shows up in the middle of this account and then slips away into obscurity? Hebrews 7, 1 through 4 describes him this way. For this Melchizedek, this won't be on the screen, but listen closely. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation by his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also the king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Further, in the same passage, the writer of Hebrews continues with the description of Jesus. This makes Jesus the guarantor of our better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of his people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And I just say, behold the sufficiency of Christ. More so than even Melchizedek. And I ask you, whom do you serve? The dark forces of this world represented by the likes of Sodom or the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the once and for all high priest who ever lives, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He meets us right where we are. But not only that, he is the source of our blessings and victories in life. Notice what it says in verse 19. He, that is Melchizedek, blesses Abram. And he blessed him, he said, and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Beloved, we need to recognize that God is always the source of every blessing. Anything that's ever been awesome in your life is from God himself. I'm blessed with an awesome wife. That's from God. I've got a dear, close friend for my whole life, like Dan. I am blessed by God, by that man. I got awesome parents sitting in the back of the room. I am blessed by God. Ephesians 1, 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You see, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've got everything you need. Every spiritual blessing is available to you in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Every spiritual blessing is at your disposal through Christ. God is the source of our victories. Just as David acknowledged the source of his victory over Goliath before he went into battle, we also need to acknowledge God in our lives. As David said, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. He is the source of all blessings and victories. But thirdly here, he is so worthy of our devotion in all things. Notice Abram's response to Melchizedek. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. I want you to think about that, a tenth of everything. Notice here that in the following verses that Abram is offered the spoils of war and he refuses them. And on top of that refusal, instead of getting something for himself out of the deal, he chooses to acknowledge God in his life through a tithe, one-tenth portion of all that he had, 10%. This is the first tithe in all of Scripture. Malachi writes that to not tithe is to literally rob God. Malachi 3.8, will man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you, bringing the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. It's not very often that God says that. He says, test them in this. I triple dog dare you to tithe. 
If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Beloved, because of who he is and how he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing for salvation, for life eternal, he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our devotion in all things. But lastly here, he is worthy of our complete submission and dependence. Now notice here as the king of Sodom shows up, verse 21, and says to Abram, well, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. You can take all the bounty here. You earned it. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, I'm committed to him, not you, pal. That I would not take a thread or a sandal, strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I only want to be beholden to God, not to anyone else. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eskol, and Mamre take their share. I have lifted my hand to the Lord. Abram is not submitted or dependent on this king of Sodom, but only on the God of Melchizedek. I will take nothing. I don't know if you've seen it, but there are all kinds of people in the world. There are oftentimes do-gooders and do-takers. Do you know who I mean? Those who will choose to do the right and good thing, but then there are those who are, no matter what's going on, they're in it for themselves. Do-gooders seek to bless others with their resources. Do-takers seek to suck the life and resources out of anything or anyone dim enough to play into their efforts. Here, Abram determines to be a do-gooder as opposed to finding himself beholden to the pagan immoral king of Sodom. And Abram refuses to find himself an obligation to a man. And I ask you, who are you obligated to? Fortunately, most of us are obligated in other capacities other than to God. We need to live in such a way as to find ourselves completely obligated to him and him alone for who he is and all that he's done for us. Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Beloved, in the end, we find ourselves back among the great oaks of Mamre with Abram's buddies with him, whom he shares God's blessing, who are sharing uh, these things together. And I just ask you, who are you sharing your blessings with? Is he worthy of your complete submission and dependence? He's willing to intercede on your behalf. Will you intercede on his? So back to my friend. The next morning he woke up after reading the passages that I suggested from Psalm 20 and Psalm 23. Dave writes, I always liked Psalm 23. I woke up really early this morning and I didn't know where I was for a minute. The first thing I did, of course, was reach out for my wife, who of course wasn't there. After that, I prayed for God to help me. I said, keep reading and keep praying, my friend. He says, I just don't care anymore, Brad. I'm a dead man walking. The big move is set for Saturday at 2 p.m. I just secured the truck. I said, well, you are yet very much alive. As long as there is life, there is hope. You are still in the middle of your story, not the end. You settled for less than God's best and received a horrible result. A horrible result. Bad tree, bad fruit. So let's go with the good tree this time so you can see the awesome and good fruit that God has for you. He writes, I appreciate your words, Brad. I know you're right about settling, but I still loved her and I gave her my heart and now she's crushed it. 
I see a lot more pain coming my way because I'm not obedient. I'm not faithful to God. I then wrote, on the one hand, I agree with your assessment that both you and Jenny have contributed, contributed to the demise of your relationship. But on the other hand, I don't agree at all that there is no hope for you. That is a lie from the pit. You are hurting, broken, and grieving right now, which is completely appropriate based on what you're going through. But even so, that doesn't leave you with no future or hope. Where there is God, there is always possibilities and a future hope. It's appropriate to mourn the loss of Jenny and your job and then grieve over your mom and dad adding insult to injury while all the while you ask yourself, how did, come, how did it all come to this and what role did you play in it? There's certainly room for self-doubt but not self-destruction, discouragement but not hopelessness, grief but not ultimate wanton despair. Perhaps you've pulled back from God and yet he is still there to receive you in your brokenness forgive you in your disobedience and lift you up in your fallenness. It seems to me that it is now more than ever that you need Christ. Seek his face. Seek his presence. Seek his deliverance. I love you, Dave. I'm so sorry for the pain that you're experiencing, but press on, my friend. There'll be peace. There'll be blessing as you walk with him in spirit and truth. He wrote back, I'll press on. I don't have much choice. Thanks, Brad. Sadness is already turning to anger towards her and myself. But I'll keep seeking God and we'll see what happens. He then texted again. I sent Jenny a couple texts that were very heartfelt and sincere. She doesn't even acknowledge my existence. How can someone who loved you just snub you like that? It's like we never even existed. I'm not asking her to get back together or anything. I'm just so confused. I'm really trying to seek truth in God. I'm just so deeply hurt by her actions and her attitude towards me, it's, it's like I'm the worst person on the planet. I, I'm holed up in a crummy motel all alone, and I'm not even invited to my family's Thanksgiving, and I've, I've never felt so alone or rejected in my life, even during my drinking years. I wrote, well, you're welcome at my table this Thanksgiving. It's very kind of you, Brad. Mom said she'd bring me a plate of leftovers after dinner. I should stay close to home because I need to take possession of my apartment Friday and Saturday morning. I also have a warrant out for my arrest. I'll turn myself in after I move this weekend. I'm doing okay, Brad. I think maybe this is actually God's grace. He, he said, no, Dave, you've been sober seven years. I'm not letting you go back to those drugs and alcohol. So I got busted with a tiny, tiny amount the first time I've touched this stuff in seven years. Rather than letting me get away with it and then maybe try to it again or go back down that dark path, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to look on the bright side of things. I hope you're well. I get my apartment tomorrow. I'll start moving stuff out of storage. Thanks, Brad. He continued, despair is all I feel. I'm sorry to keep being so negative. I, I, don't, I don't know how to change the way I feel. I will try my best to stop texting you. I, I don't mean to make you feel bad, too. I said, hey, my friend, you need a place to vent. That's why I'm here, so keep the dialogue coming. He writes, a real man would just suck it up. I, I'm very sick. Well, we all need help from time to time, I wrote. Even I need to vent. David poured out his heart in the Psalms, and Jesus poured, Jesus poured out his heart to his heavenly Father. It's all good. He goes, thanks, Brad. I just feel like a burden to everyone around me. I said, you're not a burden to me. To me, you're my friend and my brother in Christ. He says, I'm, I'm very blessed to have you as a friend. I hope I make it through this. I feel like I'm not going to recover from this one. I'll keep looking to him for strength. I tell myself I'm not alone, but my heart tells me otherwise. What can I do but keep seeking him? 
That's right, Dave. I said, God still has you. Things are still pretty raw right now, but they will not always be this way. He responded, well, I guess. Thanks, Brad. I was able to pick up my Bible from Jenny's house today, so I'll, I'll be reading tonight. And I got reinvited to my family's Thanksgiving, Brad, exclamation point. I know my dad is kind of on the fence, but still, I'm happy about being invited. I'm really, really, really trying to give up all my baggage to God. My mind keeps playing a tape of seeing Jenny tomorrow for the last time and getting me worked up. I'm giving it all to him, giving it all to him, all to him. Good night, Brad. Sleep well, my friend, I said. Thank you so much. I responded, I'm praying. And then he sent me this. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Man, he writes, that's so awesome. I'm so grateful for his word. I, I feel very peaceful. I think he's here. I think he's really here with me right now. Thank you, Brad. You're welcome, Dave. Sweet dreams. It was several years ago, and I'm happy to inform you that in an amazing way, God turned this guy's life completely around in an amazing way. And all that was lost has now been found in an amazing way by God's sheer grace as he was determined to yet trust in God. But he was held hostage, wasn't he? Who in your world do you know is being held hostage right now that you need to love on and care for at great length if need be? All of us have loved ones who are being held hostage by evil forces. Beloved, we need to develop and implement strategies to rescue our loved ones. By God's grace, we do have someone who is willing to intercede on our behalf in the midst of our battles. He will meet us right where we are. He is the ultimate source of our blessing and victory in life. He is worthy of our devotion, submission, and dependence as we endeavor to be all things to all people that some might be saved. And I ask you, who's being held hostage in your world today? What strategies do you need to develop and implement are you devoted? Are you submitted? Are you dependent on the King of Kings? As we turn to the Lord's table this morning, I couldn't help but think, as I was thinking about all this this week, that we can't forget the reality that all of us have also been held hostage before. We were the ones who were lost in darkness. Paul writes in Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Oh, praise God for that. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All your stuff, gone. By his sheer grace toward us. At Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. This is... By this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so welcome to participate in the two simple elements of the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the broken body of Christ as he died on the cross for us. And the cup which represents his shed blood on our behalf for the full payment of all of our sin. 
The Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In this warning, there are really two potential concerns. This idea of partaking in an unworthy manner. Perhaps you profess Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him right now. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you're holding in contempt with how you're living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, if you're not willing to repent and make things right, then I encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you've made things right with God in your heart. But better yet, even right now for you, would be for you to make things right in your heart with God right now during this time through confession, through repentance, and then commitment to him. And then we invite you to freely join us. But there's another possibility. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you're not in Christ at all. Perhaps you've never given your life to him. If this is the case, I encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in through hypocrisy. But even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going in your life and turn to Christ in faith. To find your salvation right now in this moment through faith in him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart and life right now. Don't wait another moment longer. And then please freely join us in this remembrance. So let's take those packets and let's uh, open them up at the same time so we get all that noise out of the way. And as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements, and we'll then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. But during this time of preparation, I encourage you to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. Let's take a moment of silent reflection at this time. you please pray aloud with me our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen as Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder John Ruza to pray for the bread which was broken for us. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Father, we are forever thankful for your plan of salvation that whoever believes in you should not perish but have everlasting life. And you sent your Son as the perfect sinless offering that was required as the propitiation for our sins. He died a horrific death on our behalf, Lord, so that we could have life. His body was beaten and broken. Thank you that we can do this in remembrance of him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Tim Peterson to pray for the cup which is poured out for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your perfect plan of redemption for us as uh, fallen and sinful human beings, um, that you would desire that uh, we would spend eternity with you. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for uh, your obedience and submission to the Father. As we sang earlier this morning, um, but mine is the hope in my Redeemer. Uh, redemption and forgiveness of sins is all part of the gospel in your plan. And redeemed from what? Uh, purchased back from that original condition and life of sin. And uh, it was your work on the cross that we are so grateful and uh, thankful for. Though I fail, his love is sure. For Christ has paid for every failing. And I am his forevermore. Jesus, thank you so much um, for what you have done and made it all possible for us to be with you throughout eternity and with the Father. And we give you praise. We pause and remember Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you please stand as we close in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, may we take great encouragement in knowing that you're always with us. You promise to never leave us or forsake us, and nothing can separate us from your love. And now, Lord, we ask that you would use us for your purposes as we go out from this place to make disciples and make disciples for your glory and for your namesake, that we might bring you honor, that we might lift your name up among the nations, that you might be pleased in our effort with our hope that we might save some. Lord, for those that are on our hearts this morning, by way of those names that perhaps were written down who are in trouble, Lord, I pray that we'd go after them and we'd share the love of Christ, doing all we can to care, to love. Lord, we need your help to do this by the power of your spirit in us. So go with us, we ask. 
knowing full well that you most certainly will. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise today. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.